The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much, man. It's good to be back. We have an NBA champion. The calendars for the NHL and the NBA are back on track. And we have Olympics. I'm ready. Yep. There's a lot of things converging here at once. We've got uh, NFL training camps opening uh, officially for everybody on Friday. So, you know, the sports calendar is definitely about to open up and reset itself. I'm glad that you could join us here on Know the Score. We are part of the CSPN. You can find us on the web at CSPN.us. You can also listen to the show through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all you have to search for is KTS Pod dash the CSPN. So last week we crowned the new NBA champion, the Milwaukee Bucks. They came back from the ashes of down 0-2 to win four straight games to defeat the Like Phoenix I said. Suns. Yes, you said it was possible. And uh uh, they win their first NBA title since 1974. Uh, Giannis, Ante- uh, excuse me, 71. Giannis Antetokounmpo, of course, named the Finals MVP. Uh, this series changed in Game Three, a game that um, Aiton started out dominating, and Booker could not make a shot. And then, for some strange reason, uh, Monty Williams just had to have Booker just be on in that game and basically took the ball out of Aiton's hands and allowed the Bucks to come back. And then in the late stages of that game, we had some turnovers and some bad shots by Booker and Chris Paul, and the Bucks survived game three. Game four was the game we all knew that Booker was going to come out and be lights out, which he was. He scored 40. But because of the way he played, nobody else got a lot of shots with the ball. So they were able to overcome his 40 because Giannis had something ridiculous as well. So that was game four. Game five, back in Phoenix, where it looks like Phoenix is going to try to maybe get their legs back up under them. They they didn't execute down the stretch. Uh, Still by Drew Holiday leads to an alley-oop to Giannis, and that kind of put that game on ice. And then, Rest the block and then the oop. <laughs> yeah, and then game six, um, Devin Booker down the stretch in the second half, third and fourth quarter especially, uh, just shot the ball every time and didn't make a majority of those shots. He wasn't looking to make plays for his teammates or move the ball and get it back or move himself. He took a lot of difficult shots that some of them went in, but a lot of them didn't. And uh, Giannis, from game three on, consistently put his feet in the paint and dominated. Game six, he put up a 50 spot, 17 for 19 from the free throw line. Um, 
he really found his calling in this series. He wasn't yeah. on the perimeter. He wasn't trying to take people off the dribble from 15, 17 feet out. He was just getting down there, setting screens, rolling to the basket, keeping his two feet in the paint. They were getting him the ball in places where he could score, where he could make a quick move and put the ball in the basket. And hopefully this is a series, and especially that game six, that would revolutionize post-play again and make kids realize, hey, it's cool to shoot the ball from two feet away from the basket. Right. Instead of 32 feet. I mean, I know you get more when you do shoot it from 32 feet, but, you know, you can be more effective if you do it this way. And hopefully that changes his mentality that, you know, I don't need to go out here and try to be a stretch five that I can just dominate from this dotted line in. And, um, you know, hopefully that just changes the trajectory of his, uh, you know, career. Because I thought the last year and a half or so, he's been concentrating on trying to shoot three-pointers so much that, you know, he lost a lot of his effectiveness around the paint. But uh, he brought it back starting in game three, and that was the difference in the series. Yes, he did. Uh, that. Let's start off with go yeah let's start off with game three and Giannis had forty one and thirteen in this one uh, and like uh, like you said DeAndre Ayton started out beasting in this first quarter and then and then when the foul trouble came in. They really started turning to uh, uh, Devin Booker, and you know this uh, forty-one to thirteen from Giannis was actually the second straight forty to ten game for him. And I think Phoenix was also cursed by the fact that they were the crowd started chanting "Suns and four after game two, and. That was, and I and I alluded to this before. Like you have to win four games. The series is not over after two. And I think everybody thought the series would have been over, or the series was indeed over after game two. But yeah, Giannis, uh, he came out in the in the um, game four, uh, overcame Devin Booker's forty two. Chris Middleton was. The closer in that game, that's as uh, he had the final. Uh, he had ten straight points in that final period. Uh, he had forty for the game in that one. Um, you know, another thing that really killed the Suns was when Aiton was in foul trouble. Uh, they had nobody to rebound. And, you know, when you don't have anybody to rebound, that's a problem. And even in the time Aiton was in, you have – it was more of a desire kind of thing. Like, Phoenix was not fighting for the ball. Pat Connaughton had nine rebounds in game four. Nine. And, and, uh, and of course, that game was sealed with the – with the um, in the third quarter, uh, 
that game was sealed in the third quarter when Milwaukee went on that um, that big run in the third to go up by 19. And then although the Suns tried to make an effort of it, and, of course, when Giannis did the pirouette to make the block on on uh, DeAndre Ian on that alley-oop because that was really just two guaranteed points. That was really one of the big turning points. And it looked like Phoenix was just shell-shocked from game three on. The, the um, uh, Giannis had 32-9, including the, the steal from Drew Holiday, followed by the alley-oop in front of LeBron on top of that. Uh which was made that even more special because um, we knew LeBron was there for CP3, but that kind of role reversal was there. And then the 50-piece uh, that he put up, um, yeah, that was just a legendary performance. The first 50-point game to clinch a final since uh, Bob Pettit did it in 1958 for the then St. Louis Hawks um, against the Boston Celtics, and then, and then of course the Bucks, the first team since uh, 06 when the Miami Heat did it to the Dallas Mavericks to come back from down 0-2 to uh, win, win um, four games to two, and and then. Um, Chris Paul, of course, the dubious that uh, he's the first player in NBA playoff history to lose four series in which his team led two games to none. Boy, him and Doc Rivers and Tracy McGrady, good gracious. They got no luck. None. None at all. And, and uh, you know, I think this really solidified. And I think this has really made – um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the most beloved players. I mean, I mean, not just for what he does on the court, but you know the humility off the court. We've seen them grow from a scrawny 196-pound project in 2013. The Bucks won 15 games that season uh, with him and Chris Middleton on that squad. Um, Went through a coaching change, went through an ownership change, a new arena, and the growth, the 66-win season uh, before the early playoff exits, kind of questioning if this team was even going to make it anywhere past the second round, if Coach Bud was the right fit. And all of those were pretty much answered in in the series. And I think my favorite part of this um, the story is Vin Baker. Um, Vin Baker was one of the he was one of the big stars in Milwaukee in the nineties. Uh, played for Milwaukee from ninety three to ninety seven. Um, he was uh, he made the All Star team three times in. Um, well, twice in Milwaukee, and then he ended up um, going through some rough times, but 
he uh, ended up uh, uh, rebounding. You know, he had struggled with depression and alcoholism. Um, but he comes back. He's a Bucks assistant, and he gets a ring. So uh, that's pretty remarkable as well. Um, joined the staff of the Bucks in 2018, and and now he's an NBA champion as an assistant. So shout out to Vin Baker. <laughs> yeah, man, Milwaukee. Um, they've as a franchise. Um, you know, they had Kareem and they had Oscar Robertson, and they those two guys couldn't make it work. You know, just the egos of, of the time. Um, so they lost both of those players. Then in the uh, '80s, they had really good players: Bobby Dandridge, um, Sidney Moncrief, Moncrief, Marcus Johnson. They had a white guy who was real good too, but I can't remember his name. Um, but anyway, oh. they um, they they had some really good teams that made the playoffs. Don Nelson was their coach back in the day. Don yeah. Nelson, uh, from the you know run 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 school. Nelly Ball. But the Celtics were just as good at running, and they always had to play the Celtics, so they always lost right. the playoffs. Then uh, turn it over to the '90s. George Carl comes in uh, with Ray Allen, Big Dog, Lane Robinson, Vin Baker, like you were just talking about, and they, you know, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals um, one year against the Bulls. Um, so that was the you know the highest that they got. Sam two thousand. Was yeah, that was so 2001. Yeah, I think it was 2001 because that was a year. That was a year. That was the Hornets last year in Charlotte. That's right. Yeah. So it's 2002. Sam Cassell was out there running with those boys then. Then they kind of went through this deep lull period until they got Giannis, and still the first four years of that was still kind of like. You know, developing, is he going to be there? They're, you know, going through coaches, Jason Kidd, a couple of other guys for coaches. But then, you know, it finally clicked the last three seasons. Um, best team record-wise in the league, back-to-back. But they got bounced um, by the Celtics, and then they got bounced uh, last year in the bubble. By the, by the Heat, yeah. By the heat. So, you know, this has kind of been brewing for Giannis the last three seasons for sure. Yeah, you know, since he's become, you know, his team has now shown that they can make the playoffs consistently, and they're in the upper half of the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, so we've kind of seen him like we have witnessed through time with most um, champion players. Him go the, the struggle and go through the growing process of, you know, becoming a winning team, becoming a playoff team, and winning a playoff series. Getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and now, you know, getting to the finals and winning it. Um, so, you know, the journey has been eight years in the making. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, the NBA is usually a league where when you win the title, for the most part, you win another one. Um, Toronto and Cleveland are the only two teams in the last 15 years that haven't won multiple championships. Or you can go back further and say the last 30 so. Yeah, yeah. So most of the time when the team wins the NBA championship, they kind of compile it and get multiples. So we'll see if this this is the case for the Bucks. But congratulations right. to them. Uh, oh, yeah, though. To Giannis. The white guy you was talking about, that was Jack Sigma. I thought he played for uh, Seattle. There's another they, dude. He was, the he was Bucks got him in a trade. Oh, word. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the boat. another guy, though. It's like he was like a guard. Um, uh, I can't think of his name right now, though. But, yeah, he was really good. A really good shooter. But, yeah, yeah Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks, your NBA champions. So, congratulations to them, Chris Middleton. Um, the only guy I'm really uh, um, I'm sad for is Ma- Malcolm Brogdon. I really still think that he should have been the point guard of this team, and this probably would have happened a year or two earlier for them. But, you know, Drew, uh, Bobby, let's give a big shout-out before we leave this to Bobby Portis. Because yes. Bobby Portis was very important to that team. Uh, Drew Holiday will get praise for his defense, but offensively, he was a no-show for a lot of this series. Bobby Portis uh, came off the bench every night, giving him 15 to 18 points, energy, rebound, hustle. Uh, A guy who was, you know, thrown on the scrap heap, one of these young guys who came out probably a little too early, wasn't ready, but, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. He drifted through a few teams out the league. Um, you know, kind of just sitting at home, working, trying to get back in the league, got the phone call to come to Milwaukee and, you know, ended up being a very integral part in a championship team. So hopefully yeah. he can, you know, stick with Milwaukee and, and you know, this will be a good spot for him. He looks like he he has a role that he's comfortable with being, you know, coming up yeah. and providing the energy. So. Um, yeah. Maybe he can be content with that and, um, you know, have a, a, a landing spot, soft landing spot here in Milwaukee. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the shooting guard was Brian Winters. Yeah, it is. Brian Winters. Yes, sir. Yeah. Number yes, 32, sir. retired by the books. Yes, sir. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, man, he could shoot his ass off. Yeah. And uh, Kareem and Oscar, it was more Kareem, uh, and I actually – Watched an interview on this. Kareem actually had no problem with the fans or the city of Milwaukee. It just, he wanted to just be in a bigger market, uh, especially after he changed, uh, he transitioned to Islam. And so he wanted to be like back home in New York or LA. Hence, that was the reason why he left Milwaukee uh, through the trade. And I think that by that time, Oscar Robertson decided to retire um, after after the um, finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he and yeah after the after the second finals in '74, Oscar Robertson retired, and then the following year, Kareem got traded to the Lakers. Uh, with the conclusion of the NBA season, of course, now we're going to be looking to the offseason, free agency, the draft. Uh, it looks like Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, Kyle Lowry, maybe even DeMar DeRozan are all going to be looking for new teams this summer. Uh, seems like uh, Lowry and DeRozan, I saw they're talking about maybe trying to join up and join the Lakers. Everybody wants to go help LeBron for some reason. Um, uh, Bradley Beal may... Uh, tell the team that he's not going to re-sign next year, uh, and then they will try to probably seek a trade for him, but they need to go ahead and figure that out sooner than later with the draft coming up. Uh, Same deal with with Russell Westbrook. He's a free agent. Uh, Washington does have a chance to re-sign him, but um, they're they're starting over with a new coach and everything, so I think they're going to maybe try to 
start with a completely clean slate in Washington. So that means that Bill and Westbrook could both be available. Uh, Damian Lillard, uh, of course, yes. uh, Terry Stotts, uh, got fired. So Damian Lillard is now um, voicing his opinion about trying to move on from Portland. So uh, everybody's been speculating that the Knicks need to try to do something to try to get him. But um, it's still kind of early in the process for him as considering his tenure, too. I think that there are certain rules and, except, you know, the NBA is weird when these guys start trying to get trades and how they've been in the league, and what they can do and what they can't do and all this stuff. So, but yeah, it should be a very interesting offseason as far as the free agents and trades. Um, Especially with eight, eight teams with new coaches, well, seven teams with new coaches. The Hawks retain Nate McMillan as they should have. Um, you know, in Boston, Jason Kidd in Dallas, Rick Carlisle in Indiana, Willie Green's son's assistant is in New Orleans, uh, Jamal Mosley, who was on the bench, uh, he was on the bench in, uh, Dallas, he's going to Orlando, um, there's two more, Chauncey Billis, like you said, is going to Portland, and then Wes Unsell Jr. is going to be the head coach in Washington. Did Indiana get a coach yet? Oh, yeah, they got Rick Carlisle back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, Wes Unsell Jr. coaching the same uh, team his dad played for and was a legend. So, uh, rest in peace, Wes Unsell as well. Yes, yes. Um, Washington is a very curious place. Um, it's It's a city that would really support the the Wizards if they could be consistently a factor. But they can't get anybody to come there. They can't land a big free agent. They can't get a star, star, star. They they can get a they can get a second level star. They can get a third level they star. They can't get they can't get a superstar. They can't get that superstar. And uh that's kind of been their I mean they had Elvin Hayes back in the day with Wes Elnsell um, then they did have Bernard King after the end of Bernard King after he'd been injured and his knees weren't as good, but he still was a top level scorer. Um, they did have Chris Weber and Jawan Howard uh, and Rashid Wallace all at the same time when they were all young and still trying to figure things out. Um, then they got the era of Gilbert Arenas and Antoine Jameson and those guys, and we all know how that ended up with, uh, you know, Gilbert's antics off the court. Um, that's probably the closest they've had to a superstar since John Wall. Uh, and, you know, John Wall's game, his personality made him a superstar, but necessarily not his game because he wasn't such a all-around player that position. So they've been really searching for the better part of like 40 years for that top-tier player to Washington and maybe solidify them uh, and, 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 and make them a long-term contender. It just hasn't happened. Um, of- Kings of the underachievers. <laughs> speaking of the, uh, you know, Top tier players and uh, superstar talents. The NBA draft is going to take place this week. Uh, Cade Cunningham is projected to be the number one pick. The Detroit Pistons own that pick. Uh, Jalen Green, uh, he's out of the uh, G League, 
Evan Mobley, center from USC, and Jalen Suggs, who was a freshman point guard for Gonzaga. They're all expected to go in the top five in the draft. Um, don't hear a lot of speculation about people trying to move up or people trading. Um, the only thing I've heard so far is the Warriors willing to part ways with their two picks to get Bradley Beal. Uh, however, I don't know how that would work, if it would work, but they've explored that. And if they don't make that deal, then it will just be the the Warriors just taking those two picks. Because remember, because of the D'Angelo Russell trade, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves ended up losing their uh, draft pick to the Warriors because it wasn't a top three. It's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Warriors. Um, you have uh, Draymond Green coming up in the last year of his contract. You have Klay Thompson uh, coming back after two years uh, away from the court, two consecutive season-ending injuries, a knee and then an Achilles. Um, you have a guy in James Wiseman who is very talented but seemed to have a very difficult time um, you know, maturing into a professional Um and then you had some of the guys who got to play a lot down the stretch with Steph uh, when they were trying to make this run. Um, young guys that they weren't really counting on, but they were actually able to step up and, and provide um, some assistance for Steph. And can Steph, um, you know, rekindle the season that he had this past year one more time again now with all his running mates? Right. Um, you know, he may not need to, because, you know, he'll have more weapons and, you know, he may be able to just, you know, his scoring may be able to go down by five to seven points, but his assists may increase by eight, you know? Right. Um, that type of deal. So, yeah, they're one of the teams I'm definitely going to be uh, intrigued about. Uh, uh, um, New Orleans as well, just because of uh, Van Gundy turning away from that job so quickly. I don't know if they have chemistry issues internally in a locker room or if they have front, some front office, um, you know, issues between the coach and the direction that he wants to go in and what the front office thinks that it should be doing. So the Pelicans, I think, um, definitely are going to be one of those teams that people are watching closely over the next few years because, I mean, they may be in, like, blow-it-back-up mode real soon. And Brandon right. could, you know, be the person who gets – the short end of that one, so right. Justin Alonzo being a free agent right now, and if, if New Orleans will even match whatever offers he gets, so right, right. And so, and looking at the draft order, because you have the Pistons, the top ten. I'll just do the top ten real quick: Pistons, Rockets, Cavs, Raptors, Magic at five, Thunder, Warriors, Magic from Chicago at eight. Because of the Vucevic trade, the Kings and the Pelicans. And Oklahoma City has three picks in this draft. They have their own pick of six. The pick from Boston from the Kemba trade at 16. And the have a pick at 18 from Miami uh, from the Heat. And then the Houston Rockets, after the blow up of the trade with. Um, I did the blow up of the James Harden years. They got the second pick, the twenty third and twenty fourth pick, 
And I'm sure they were looking for that number one pick to get Cade, but that did not work they out in should, their favor. They should draft. They should draft all three of those players. They shouldn't trade anybody. Yeah. Um, they shouldn't trade the pick. Um, this is one of the rare times where you actually can improve your team through the draft at one time. With the yeah. picks, um, I would definitely look to entertain uh, drafting players with all three of those picks. I, I I will try to just bolster. I try to get me a try get me a a, a long term superstar or you know at least a solid. B level star with that second pick, and then if I could get me a, a good hustle guy with that next pick, and then a solid role player with that last pick, man, we could they could they could really do some things and improve themselves very fast. Um, I, I think John Wall will be a little bit better next year with them, more comfortable coming off the injury. Won't have to try to work himself into game shape like he was doing a lot of the season this year. Um, and I just think that Houston just may, you know, they are starting over fresh. So go ahead and yeah. infuse yourself with a bunch of talent all at one time and see where it can go. Right. And uh, Thunder has six picks in this draft, three in the first round, three in the second round. Now, so they, sure just... now they need to trade people because they got a lot more holes to fill. Yeah. I'll probably see about trading Kemba to a contender. Uh, trading Kemba because you got built around Gilgis Alexander mm-hmm. and Lou Dor and Lou Dor. That's probably their two guys right there. Um, the uh, trade that uh, the I think the trade that uh, really shocked me. I mean Al Horford coming back, but the key for Boston and giving up that that um, first round pick along with uh, Kimball Walker, was Moses Brown. And Moses Brown has a lot of potential. He's seven foot two, mm. 245 pounds. Uh, and he was coming on strong uh, for the Thunder. Uh, he got the call up. And in his second, in his second uh, straight start, he had 20 and 16. Uh, so... When he uh, started for Al Horford, he had 20 and 16, and by halftime, he had a 14 and 10. And then, uh, and then the day that they shut down Al Horford, he had 21 points and 23 rebounds. Ironically, and ironically, it was a loss to the Celtics. So when he got called up from the G League, he was averaging 12 points, 12 rebounds. 1.6 blocks in 27 minutes. And the season finale against the Clippers, he ended up with 24 points, 18 rebounds, and 7 blocks. So uh, that was probably the key piece. Uh, we kind of wonder what Brad Stevens was going to be doing as the new GM of the Celtics. And, I mean, bringing back uh, Horford and then Bringing on this kid right here, Celtics are going to be in a lot better shape, you know, in the interior especially than we think. Because it's a huge upgrade over Tristan Thompson, definitely. All right. So there it is, the NBA draft. A lot of young men, uh, their dreams are going to come true. 
uh, here shortly. Uh, yes, tomorrow night. Yeah, they're going to walk across that stage, shake hands with Adam Silver, and become professional athletes. So hopefully they uh, do the necessary things they need to do to be a professional athletes for a long time, uh, stay out of trouble, stay healthy, and uh, have excellent careers. Absolutely. Now it's time to turn over the page to the Olympics. And the biggest news is Simone Biles withdrawing from the games to take care of her mental health. Um, she, uh, as more has come out uh, since her uh, you know, statement uh, yesterday, um, she went to do her vault um, and she basically got a version of the gym, gymnast yips. She They call it twisties, where she kind of lost her bearings in one of those twists. And she kind of landed funny, so everybody assumed that she maybe tweaked her knee or ankle or something. But she was just like, nah, my 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 head is not where it needs to be. I'm not 100% or 120% into this. And, um, you know, that uh, condition could lead to her hurting herself. So she's like, I'm out. And that was the team competition. She announced that she's going to withdraw from the individual competition as well. So the biggest star as far as the uh, American team goes is out of the Olympics. Simone Biles withdrawing due to her mental health. Um, so just your, you know, your thoughts about it, the reaction that's ha- that's come down since and kind of this new um this new initiative, I guess, from these athletes who are like, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna perform if I'm not 100% sound mind and body. I'm proud of Simone Biles, and I'm proud of these athletes who are realizing that they're more than just, you know, performers. They're people, and and I think. What happens is you have those, you know, generally from what I've seen, most I've seen generally positive um, support. Of course, there's going to be those notorious trolls and people who are uh, just miserable, who want to just say miserable things to make themselves feel better. And... But I'm really going to focus on the positive here because, like I was saying, they're not just performers, they're people. And they have issues that they go through that we don't know about. And who are we to judge what they're going through? So if if your mind isn't into what you want to do 100%, then you got to protect your – you have to protect yourself. That's a form of – self-preservation, self-protection, and there's nothing absolutely wrong with that whatsoever. I commend Simone Biles for putting herself first, and for those that want to say she's a traitor or she's weak or she's a coward, none of that. She's got 20-plus medals, 19 world championships. She, She is... The things that she can do on that gymnastics floor, I can't even, in my wildest dreams, fathom, and nobody can do the things that she's done. Even on her worst day, nobody that has criticized her or called her out of her name 
can do the things she does on her worst day. Um, so I really am happy that she's going to just take the time and, you know, she was inspired by Naomi Osaka, who went through the same thing a few weeks back uh, with the French Open. And, you know, these athletes got to realize what they're worth. And, I, and I'm glad that they are doing that. I'm glad uh, basketball players have opened up about it and athletes in general. If you're not, I know I have done things where my mind was not at 100%. And I would just say, you know what? I can't do it until my mental is right. I've done that on jobs. And it's if you need time to step away and do what you need to do to get yourself right, then I applaud it. I encourage it. I commend it. And I respect it. Definitely a new day and time um, for um you know, athletes and their mental health. You know, this is basically something that's, you know, uncalled, unheard of prior to this recent, um, you know, turn of events. Like you said, Naomi Osaka, um, you know, with the French Open and everything, uh, kind of turned everybody's attention to it. Um, just in general, uh, in the games, Team USA, they're struggling in women's soccer and men's basketball, two sports that they traditionally uh, have a very good handle on. Uh, women's soccer did not win a match in their uh, pool play. Uh, they had a loss and three draws. Uh, men's basketball, they lost their first uh, game out to France. Uh, they looked a little bit better in their second game, though. And uh, we'll see how things um, uh, manifest uh, moving forward. Um, Team USA basketball, man, I don't know. The the players are a little bit lesser than we've had the past few years. And I just don't know if Popovich's coaching style matches with an all-star team of guys like this. So here's, here's my observation. One thing that kind of stood out after that France loss was a quote from Damian Lillard, and he said, "the the Olympic, the NBA players on the Olympic teams play a whole lot differently than they do in the NBA." And I think a lot of this was either scouting and trying to rely on what they know about their opponents on the NBA side, but they don't really know that international version of these guys mm -hmm. and you know with the international ver you know in a, and this is where Luka Doncic kind of went back this goes back to a quote from Luka Doncic remember when he said the NBA is easy mm -hmm. this is what he meant they don't they play differently when it's international there's play there's a lot more space in the NBA there's a lot mm -hmm. less restriction of the movement the Trappers Away oh. also makes for some funky post-play, too, that NBA players, I don't think, are really a, that accustomed to or like a lot. But, yeah. But, yeah, just the, just the international ball has a little bit less freedom of movement, and they don't call as many. It's more physical. Miles. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of is the, um, as the Detroit Pistons found out during the 90s, that physicality can kind of make up the gap that you have in talent, you know what I'm saying? If that team who's more talented can't match you 
with the physicality. Right, exactly. And that's and that's what we're seeing from from the uh, from these teams, and it was so it was kind of and the fact that I mean they can also hang the fact that um, well I mean they played a really uh, Iranian team that was that <laughs> they pretty much outclassed, but. Um, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker. Kind of wonder how that meeting kind of went when they all joined up together <laughs> right after the finals. Um, they ended up having a bounce. Um, Holiday and Booker had better games. So Booker didn't really play much. Neither did Drew. Um, but it looks like they Popovich did some lineup adjustments. The offense kind of flowed a little bit better, but we'll have to see how things uh, play out the rest of the way, especially when they go up against, you know, teams in the metal round. And and this U.S. team is kind of, it's been put together, altered, uh, and there's just very, the lack of chemistry is really telling right now uh, with these guys. And it was really telling in the, Exhibition games prior to the Tokyo games, losing to Nigeria, which never happened before. Uh, they lost a couple other games um, as well. And it really just was, it really was just at the end of the day, I don't know if they're, I would be surprised if they even get a medal, but it would not surprise me if they did not at this point. Uh, and it's really just been a very bad kind of Olympics for men's basketball, not just on the, um, not just for the men's basketball team, but the three on the three by three, the three X three or three, three on three basketball for the men's side didn't even make it to the Olympics. So, um, that really just was bad for them. We had Naomi Osaka actually lose in the second round of uh, competition. Um, so she was the first major upset in the tennis side of things. Um, you know, this is her first event back since taking that break uh, from the French Open and Wimbledon. Um, so hopefully, you know, she was here in Japan. Hopefully she's in a better place uh, with her mental um, health. And you know she's ready to come to New York and try to you know um, get back on the hard surface and defend the United States Open Championship. Um, I think that was probably maybe her goal for pulling out of the French Open is to you know give herself enough time to be mentally prepared for the Olympics and then make this last uh, uh, major. Um, but I'm definitely pulling for her and hoping that she is in a, in a you know good place and she's ready to compete at a very high level and uh, you know win some more tournaments. Anything else out of the Olympics that you have seen uh, that you want to talk about or, or a person or or an event? Uh, so the three on three, the women's side, they won a gold medal. Shout out to them, Kelsey Plum, Alicia Gary, I believe, and. And uh, Stephanie Dolson, so uh, WNBA players on the women's side. 
uh, getting the gold. Uh, U.S. women, they looked shaky against Nigeria. Then they went on a 23 nothing run and never looked back. So they were doing what they usually do on the women's side. Um, Katie Ledecky uh, got uh, defeated in by Ariana Titmus, uh as <laughs> the coach had that crazy video of the celebration. Uh, she didn't medal in the 200 uh, uh, intermediate medley, but she did get a gold in their signature event, the 1500 uh, free. And I really enjoyed uh, U.S. women's softball. They got a silver medal. I really wish that baseball and softball would stay in the Olympics, uh, especially that could give uh, women's softball some more exposure. I think. I think between the uh, this year with the uh, Women's College World Series as well as the Olympics that should give them some exposure to kind of get a more established professional league, kind of like how they did for women's soccer. Um, but, yeah, those, those events have really stood out uh, to me and for me. Uh, Skateboarding, uh, that's come a long way now being an Olympic sport. Uh, Jagger Eaton was the first U.S. medalist. He got the bronze in the men's side. And and then uh, just need to kind of keep up with the beach volleyball and see what the U.S. does. I mean, we don't have Misty and Carrie anymore, but, um, you know, we will see what our uh, – our teams can do on the beach volleyball side and also on the uh, team volleyball indoor, I should say. Well, it's always fun uh, looking at the various games that have become Olympic sports uh, in the last uh, 20 years or so, the skateboarding, the three-on-three basketball tournament. Um, But I think a lot of people feel like me, the Olympics doesn't start until next week. When the track, track and field, right. And uh, then I think most people will be tuning in to uh, get the ratings up. I don't think the ratings have really been that good uh, on NBC, but also it's spread out between so many channels. It's so hard to watch now. It's, not a it's, it's spread out and the time difference because most of the live events are a day old are overnight day, or half a day old. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And then they. They put the big events in prime time, but if you want to watch the live version, you have to be on Peacock or uh, go on CNBC USA, um, NBCSN, all of that. So yeah, yeah, a lot different than it was back in the day when you only had the you know the six or eight channels on regular TV and everything kind of focused around your normal television stations and not having all these uh, cable stations also. Uh, take away programming from you. Um, We're going to move over to MLB where we're coming up on the trade deadline. So there's a lot of rumors going on. There's been a lot of trades as well. Biggest trade so far. Mike Gallo traded to the Yankees from the Rangers. Uh, The Yankees got like a whole, they got like five players, uh, four players in exchange for Gallo. Um, 
who is the Yankees are trying to make a run at that final wild card spot. I think they're three, three and a half games out. So three games out coming here to the end of July, beginning of August. So they have probably a little bit over, probably about 40 days to try to make up those three games. Uh, And we'll we'll see what can happen uh, for the Yankees. Um, This may be the last year for Brett Boone. Um, Definitely. Excuse me, Aaron Boone. uh, Definitely underachieving uh, with the lineup and the team that they had on paper coming into the season. Um, but we will give a big shout out to Boston, who has resurfaced and had a resurgence uh, this year uh, after getting caught up in the uh, you know whole uh, cheating scandal. Um, you know, so uh, you know NL AL East, excuse me, uh, topsy turvy than it was last year. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays though still hanging around, making the Red Sox have to uh, play every day hard. So we'll see yeah. if can uh, benefit the Yankees, or is this just going to be a move that is, uh, you know, not going to have any positive returns? All right. couple of other moves. Uh, Oakland getting Starling Marte from the Marlins. Uh, and, and then uh, Eduardo Escobar is going from the Diamondbacks to the Brewers. And like they need any more help. <laughs> they don't. They try to load up and follow the bucks. Well, what, what, what it is is they're they're sizing themselves up against the Giants and the Dodgers, and they're like, yeah, yeah and the Padres. Yeah, we got to have these arms if we gonna get into this battle with them for real, right? And Max Scherzer wants to go to the West Coast, but um, one thing is one team that's trying to make a push for him is the Boston Red Sox. So they're trying to trying to uh, um, see what's going to happen there. Basically, eight teams are, as of uh, yesterday, uh, this recording, uh, July 27th, eight teams were on uh, Matt Scherzer's radar, and that was the Dodgers, Giants, Padres, uh, Red Sox, Rays, Jays, Astros, and the Mets. Um, of course, being in the same division, I doubt he goes to the Mets. But if he goes to the West Coast, he'll definitely waive the no trade. Yeah, it's um, always an interesting time of the year uh, to see who are the buyers and who are the sellers uh, when it comes to the MLB trade deadline. Uh, which big people who are have contracts may be coming up. The teams don't feel like they're going to be able to uh, re-sign them in the free agency if they can get dealt away and maybe, you know, go from a rental player to sign them with their newer teams. Uh, oh, yeah. We're getting into the season of uh, call-ups as well. They're getting they're going to be start happening at the end of the month. So you never know what hot shot down in AAA could come up get hot for three weeks and kind of change the trajectory of a team as well. That's always the fun part of the uh, end of the season here, the trade deadline and then the call-ups helping give these teams some extra firepower and some places they didn't think they could have it. Um, Yeah. And and then also the Astros are loading up on relief pitching. Uh, They got Yumi Garcia from the Marlins. Uh, Then the day before they got Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero from the Mariners. Uh, the Graveman 
Montero wasn't really a factor, but Graveman kind of was not a popular trade among Mariners players. Uh, they really had some things to say about uh, Jerry uh, DePoto, the GM, basically saying he doesn't care about winning. All he cares about is his luxury sweep. If I'm the Mariners, I mean, even though you're two games out, I mean, you want to get to the playoffs. You want to have that winning culture. But if do you want to tank the season and get rid of the GM? I don't know if they'll do that, but, hey, there's an option for you. Well, hopefully they don't do that. Hopefully they, you know, just continue. I don't want them to do that, but. Yeah, continue to play it out and, and play hard and, you know, just finish the season on, uh, you know, whatever note they can positively uh, going forward. Yeah, I think just uh, having I, – I really do hope they – because they haven't been to the playoffs in a long time, so, so – um, they're they're only two games behind Oakland for that final wild card spot. So stay in the fight, Seattle. Right. Stay in the fight. Right. Now I'm gonna turn it over to you for your final thoughts and your shout outs and thank you. All right. So shout out to our host of the push, our WrestleCast fam, our favorite heel of the WrestleCast. And Charlotte Fair Fan Club President uh, Sean Shaolin Shogun and May. Uh, today is his birthday, so happy birthday to Sean. Oh, he got to see Chris Jericho get sliced up in person on his birthday? That's so, that's all right. <laughs> right. And so, so yes, um, definitely got to shout, shout out my, my best friend there. But, um, uh, let's see. The Seattle Kraken are a full-fledged team now. So the Kraken had their expansion draft uh, last week. Uh, didn't really make any uh, splash names. Um, they did more in the free agency than they did on the expansion draft. I don't think they'll be... They'll be the um, they'll duplicate what the Vegas Golden Knights did in their first season, uh, which they went to the Stanley Cup. Um, uh, we look at the current roster, really, that Ron Francis uh, built up. Um, uh, Hayden Fleury, uh, who was basically a connection from. Um, from the Carolina days for Ron Francis. Morgan Geeky from the Hurricanes. He got drafted. Uh, Kelly Arncroft from the uh, National Predators. Jamie Alexiak, he was with the Stars. He got drafted over. Uh, Mike Giordano played uh, most of his career in Calgary. And so there are some... Um, there are some uh, definite connections. Also, uh, the Charlotte Checkers, who were the former affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, they are now the affiliate of the Florida Panthers, will also be a affiliate of the Kraken as well. Hurricanes uh, are doing some weird things. Uh, they, they are. are. 
Nedeljkovic, which looked like it could have been the answer to their goaltender problems that they've had for, the for nothing five, seven years because they didn't want to go into arbitration with them because they didn't trust that this was a just a, you know, aberration to his career. So now you go back to having no young person in goal up and coming. You, you have um, Morozik that you're going to negotiate with. Reimer is probably going to be out just in general. He's already out. He's yeah. in San Jose now. Because of just the way that they treated him uh, during the second half of this year. So now you go from uh, having a potential, uh, you know, homegrown goalie that the fans had gotten behind and had really taken a liking to. Um, led the minor league team at the time to the Calder Cup. Yeah, really had a lot of goodwill built up uh, through his performance. I mean, basically, he went toe-to-toe with, 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 with Vasilevsky, man. I mean, um, every, every game was a you know a mistake by the defense in front of him that led to a goal, not necessarily his doing. Um, so, I, yeah, I just don't get what they're doing right now, Hurricanes. Um, I know Tom Dundon is a, a different owner. The things that he values usually aren't the things that normal sports owners value when it comes to their players and front office people. So, I don't know, man. I just know one thing. He better go ahead and get this thing with Rob Brindamore done uh, or they're really going to take a huge step back if they lose him. Yeah, you know, Rob Brindamore and Dougie Hamilton as well. Yeah. yeah so. uh, uh, but with the Kraken arriving, the NHL, they are going back to their uh, four divisions prior to the pandemic. So there won't be an all-Canada division anymore. Uh, it'll be going back to the Atlantic, Metropolitan, Central, and Pacific. Uh, the... Atlantic and Metropolitans are, those teams are still the same, virtually, Atlantic, uh, Boston, Buffalo, Detroit, Florida, Ottawa, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and I'm probably forgetting another team, wait, Boston, Buffalo, Detroit, Florida, Montreal, Montreal, Uh, and then the, the, um, Metropolitan Carolina, Columbus, um, Philly, Islanders, Rangers, Penguins, Capitals, Devils. Then the Central, the Coyotes move from the Pacific to the Central. Uh, so the Arizona, Arizona, Chicago. Uh, Nashville, St. Louis, Minnesota, uh, Winnipeg, and and uh, who are the other two? I always, I always miss two. Give me just a second. Ah, here we go. The, uh, the Carolina, the Carolina Hurricanes are definitely going to regret the decision that the NHL has made to go back to the Metropolitan Division for them because man, that's a tough <coughs> road for them. Um, even with their improved talent level, 
um this this way that we came out of the uh the season definitely benefited them uh gave them teams that were more their geographical uh, rivals and teams Uh that they talent wise were very comparable to except for right right i think they were pretty they were there with tampa bay like you said it was just a few bounces that went the other way um but yeah because they got they got to deal with Crosby and Ovechkin again. You got to deal with an improved Flyers team. Uh, you got to deal with the Islanders team who are hungrier than ever. Uh, the Rangers, you probably will be all right with them. You probably be all right with the Devils, and definitely gonna be okay with the Blue Jackets because they they're a mess right now. Uh, so it's probably just those upper tier right there with. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Washington, and the Islanders. Um, oh, yeah, so it's Colorado and Dallas. Those were the two teams I was missing from the Central. And then finally the Pacific. Uh, that's going to be Anaheim, Calgary, Edmonton, L.A., San Jose, Seattle, Vancouver, and Vegas. And that is your NHL recap slash my final thought. Um, it's going to be a very – NHL season opens up October 12th. NBA season follows a week later on the 19th. Man, these turnarounds are getting shorter and shorter, um, it seems like. But at least this year they're getting more of the full offseason than they got last year in a lot of cases um, with yes. the seasons ending – um, you know, in January or whatever it was, and then turning right back around in April. Um, right. And coming back in. in. So, um, yeah, they, they've had to do a lot of scrambling to try to get this next season back to where it should have been in the calendar from two years ago. So definitely give them a lot of credit for that. Um, but, yeah, it should be a fun uh nhl season coming up looking forward to it uh like i said hopefully the hurricanes can figure out their goalie situation and uh and uh you know get back into the playoffs for a fourth straight year um my final thoughts um probably would be about just training camp coming in um you know nfl uh with the pandora's box um with you know uh, different teams having different rates of vaccination. Uh, my favorite team having the lowest rate of vaccinations with a coach that is uh, deficient. So it's kind of like two things aren't working in cohesion already uh, for the Washington football team, but also just the league in general. Uh, there's a lot of pushback from a lot of players, a lot of high profile players about getting vaccinated uh, uh the league kind of was like hey you know if you are that's cool if you aren't that's cool but then here in the last couple of weeks as training camp has gotten a lot closer they've kind of almost been mulling around this mandated vaccination thing and we've had uh, coaches and players speaking out some coaches uh stepping away from teams uh, i know deandre hopkins has been uh at least publicly on his social medias, mulling retirement due to uh, his lack of not wanting to get vaccinated. Because um, of his, this, because of this, because of his girlfriend too. Is he, I, I, I is, he, is he dating Richardson? Is that his girlfriend? 
I think so. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um uh ununiformity right now going on in the NFL when it comes to the and shout out to and shout out to Dak Prescott incorrectly using HIPAA as a reason that he is <laughs> uh he wasn't gonna mention that he was vaccinated, which has nothing to absolutely do with uh, yeah, that was just the loud and wrong moment of the week. He, he just heard <laughs> it on a television show and just and, and, and enacted it, right? Right. But, but yeah, so uh, that is that. I don't, man. I, you know, um, yeah, everybody yep. has their personal feelings on the vaccine. Cole Beasley's been the most outspoken against it. Right. And, you know, I guess the deal is I don't know if they feel like they don't have a choice, that they're kind of being pressured. You know, I don't really understand the players. Uh, You know, now if the NFL comes out and says, hey, you know, it's mandatory for everybody to be vaccinated and if you're not vaccinated, you can't play. Then that's gonna put these guys in a box, regardless of if they're, you know, for it or against it. You know, what I'm saying they're gonna have to make either way, and I don't think the NFL wants to get there. But yeah, it looks like we're yeah, right. And Washington and Indianapolis were the two lowest teams: uh, Pittsburgh, Miami, Carolina, and Denver, and Seattle were in the top five. Right. Um, and then also, I think one of the craziest things I saw in this vaccination debate was just seeing the exchange between teammates like Cole Beasley and Jerry Butler were literally having a whole, whole um, argument on social media. It was just playing out for the whole, whole uh, world to see, you know? And so. Yeah, this thing is really out of hand. And I don't think the NFL is going to be trying to have games on a Tuesday again or a Wednesday. Right. They definitely uh, said that they were going to start coming down a much harder on these teams this year if they have to move these games due to players not being vaccinated. Right. Some of them even said a possible forfeit, too. So Yeah, yeah, so... It's really, um, you know, I think this is just a microcosm of, you know, sports is a microcosm of the society. So, you know, this is just a smaller portion playing out in the NFL of what's really going on throughout the country uh, right now when it comes to the vaccination and the rates. And some people are, you know, waiting. I think some people, I think there's a section of people who want to be vaccinated, but they kind of want to wait for like another edition of it. That will be maybe more, uh, maybe strong enough for the variants where this right. vaccination currently is for the original strain of COVID. And, you know, we're not dealing with that original strain right now. We're dealing with the variant, right. And these vaccinated people are becoming more and more infected. And I think that is kind of also fueling the people who haven't gotten vaccinated and who haven't been sick. And, and I think that's boosting them up, you know, a little bit more as well. So, you know, again, it's one of these things where the sports mirrors the society. And, um, yeah. you know, we'll, like, we'll see this even, out. Yeah, even on my job, I had a lady call, you know, because she was like paying her 
insurance because she had COVID and she was like, I don't wish that on anybody. And I don't, you know, of course I didn't go deep into the situation because that's none of my business. I'm there to just, you know, give their payment options or whatever. Uh, but it is, it is, like I said, it's just, uh, that's just the society. And, and I could, I had a presumption and, you know, I don't want to assume anything, but uh, just the region they were in, it was kind of like one of those hot spots and kind of uh, makes you wonder, wonder other things as well. So, but I'm not here to kind of wonder that. But like you said, just the whole sports thing is a microcosm of what's going on on a regular basis for everyday people. Right, right. So hopefully um, the league, the teams, the players, um, you know, everybody can figure out uh, a good um you know, compromise. Um, like I said, I don't think that the lead wants to come down just so heavy handed and pound the table. But at the same time, you know, what I'm saying they're not like you said, they're not trying to have to uh, juggle that schedule around like they did last year to try to get all the games in. Because now we got this extra game uh, this season, right? Uh, which is going to make the schedule even tighter to try to, um, you know, maneuver, manipulate if they do have a you know, stretch there where they have like a Tennessee Titan situation where, you know, one team has to uh, push back, you know, a couple of days in a row uh, due to uh, illnesses or outbreaks or positive tests. Um, but, yeah. Um, you know, they may have to just try to in- institute those same protocols they had last year where they do a lot of virtual and, you know, limited uh large group meetings and things like that if they can't come to a suitable uh, compromise for the players who are, don't want to get vaccinated and don't have any interest in it. Right, exactly. Alright, well my shout outs would just be to everybody who listens to us here on the CSPN, to my co-host Dwayne. Uh, thank you for taking the time here a little later uh, recording than we normally do uh, working with my schedule, so I definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh you know talk some sports get caught up uh we'll probably try to get together and maybe preview some of these uh these uh upcoming divisions in the nfl get everybody ready yeah. for the uh the start of the football season throughout the preseason yes things like that we'll try to get everybody prepared for the you know the real season of sports opening the nfl and, uh, you know, everything that's coming down the stretch here with the uh, MLB playoffs uh, coming into shape and Let's go Mets. and uh, basketball coming back and hockey coming back here soon. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up on the horizon uh, and we'll be back on a more regular basis to cover it. So thank you, Dwayne. Thank you to everybody listening to know the score on the CSPN. That is CSPN.us where you can find this program. So for my co-host, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.